I feel like now this is the first effort I have ever made trying to preach. <laughs> because of health problems, the pandemic, it's been 15 months since I've tried to preach. So I beg an interest in your prayers fervently to express the truth of his blessed word. I've turned to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Jesus says in verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In verse 25, he starts off with the same words, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. I love these verses. These verses teach the doctrine of regeneration, the new birth, the quickening of the elect of God. Verse 24 gives us the effects of the new birth, and verse 25 teaches us what happens to cause the new birth. So Jesus began in verse 24 with the double word, verily, verily, verily. A few weeks ago, I was curious. I know the word verily, verily means truly, truly. But I looked up the root word from which the word verily was translated. In the New Testament, it's translated from the Greek word, amen, A-M-E-N. <laughs> In all the Bible, the word amen is found 72 times. The last word of the Old Testament is curse. The last word of the New Testament is amen. And so all that is said is an amen. What does amen mean? It's a word of confirmation, of truth. It confirms the truth. And that's why Jesus used the word verily, verily. I'm confirming the truth of what I say. You know, God cannot lie, he cannot die, and he cannot deny himself. All the word of God, the inspired word of God is truth. There's no error in the Bible, in God's word. It's all truth. It's all amen. <laughs> Jesus is confirming that what I'm telling you is the truth, truly, truly. The word amen also means so be it. At the end of Brother Hooven's prayer a while ago, he used the word amen, so be it. You know, many times when we use words such as we pray in the name and for the sake of Jesus Christ, amen. We close it, the prayer with amen. When we baptize, when an administrator baptizes a the new convert that has presented him or herself to the church to be baptized in water. The minister, he said, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. We mean, so be it. This is a confirmation of the faith of that one that desires to be baptized in water, to become a member of the gospel church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When one comes forward to be baptized in water, there's a confirmation, uh, either stated or unstated, but a confirmation of belief in that person's heart. Baptism is a believer's baptism. But 
the desire to be baptized is a confirmation of one's faith that they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. They believe in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's the confirmation that is displayed and manifested when one is baptized. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus is saying something that's certainly the truth. I want you to believe it. It's the way it is. It's no other way. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. Now the word heareth and the word believeth is in the present tense. He that now hears and he that now believes is already born of the Spirit of God. This evening, we trust you're hearing the preaching of the gospel. And that indicates with your ability to now hear that you've already been born of the Spirit of God. So he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, that indicates that one is already a believer in God the Father. It's God the Father that sent Jesus into the world. And when we believe in God the Father, that he sent his Son into this world, we are one of those believers that Jesus is addressing in verse 24 of the fifth chapter of John. Whosoever believeth on him, that is on the Father. In John 6 and 37, the words of Jesus again, he said, All that the Father hath given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but to do the will of him that sent me. The Father sent him to do his will and his purpose, which Jesus finished on Calvary's cross. I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is my Father's will, which he has given me. Though all that he has given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Then in verse 44, he says, No man can come unto me except the Father which sent me draw him. All that the Father giveth me. Notice he didn't say, All that the Father giveth to me. This verse is going back to the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world when all the elect of God, chosen in him, and predestinated to be conformed to the glorious image of his darling son, were given to Christ in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world. Now, he wasn't given to us then. We went back then for him to be given to us. But he knew every one of the objects of his love, that they would be conceived in nature, and in time, Jesus is given to us. Jesus is given to his elect. And when Jesus is given to those that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world and gave to him, we are born of the Spirit of God when Jesus is given to us. I heard a minister one time preach that Jesus didn't really save us because election saved us. Election and the acts of God in the covenant of grace didn't save us. But what election did do, it put us in Christ Jesus. We were given to Christ Jesus 
and we were sealed in Christ Jesus to be saved in time through the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's through his effective workmanship, not ours, but his, whereby he has saved us by his death on the cross. But election put us in a safe place to be saved in time. In the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, talking about the new universe that is yet to come, None can enter therein except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. So that's heaven and the mortal glory. Some people says that is the church, gospel church, here on earth. But if it were, then all the elect of God would become members of the gospel church. So it can't be the gospel church that the Apostle John has under consideration in uh, Revelation 21. In fact, that chapter says too much about the world yet to come for it to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But back to our text. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath. He didn't say you will get if you hear and if you believe, but you hath. Already have. It teaches that your ability to hear And your ability to believe is an indication, it's evidence, that the new birth you've already been given, you already have. You possessed it before, not after. So the hearing and the believing are not conditions to get an elect of God saved for heaven. Only Christ in his finished death can accomplish that. He hath everlasting life. What is everlasting life? It's eternal life. It's life without end. It has no ending to it whatsoever. It has a beginning with us, but it has no beginning with God. New birth has a beginning with us, whereby we are quickened into divine life. We're born again. We are regenerated. We're given eternal life. Christ is given to us in the new birth. He has everlasting life, unending life. Isn't that a wonderful thing for us to meditate upon and to know in the midst of our sufferings that we endure while we live in this time world if we didn't have the truth of God's amens of God's blessed truth confirmed to us they would be the most miserable place to live out your life here but it's a blessed place for us to dwell in the house of God that he's established in this gospel church wherein by reason of the new birth, we can even present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. But there's many phrases and statements here that confirm that life precedes action. In every case, whether it's natural life or spiritual life. But he's talking about spiritual life here being given to the child of God. Because he hath already eternal life and shall not come into condemnation. By reason of that, he shall never come into condemnation. will never be condemned to the lake of fire, to the place of eternal woe and misery. But is past, again, past tense verbs, is past, already happened from death unto life. From what? 
from death and alienation from God. That's a death. That's a death of depravity. That's a death we inherited from Adam when he fell in the Garden of Eden. Now, Romans 5 and 12 says, For as but one man, sin entered into the world, and death doth sin, and so death is passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That all will include the elect people of God as well as those that God did not love, the non-elect. All men are conceived in sin. Then Jesus said, after giving the effects of the new birth, he tells us in verse 25 what happens in the new birth. He says, Amen, Amen. (laughs) Truly, truly. I'm telling you the truth. Verily, verily. I say unto you, the hour is coming, and it now is. It's been in existence ever since the beginning of time as an application of the finished work of Christ to the souls and objects of his love ever since the first one that was born of the Spirit of God. And it will last until Christ comes again to regenerate all of his people. Jesus said, none shall be cast out. Every one of them shall be embraced sometime in their lifetime, from the moment of conception in their mother's womb until the day that they breathe out their last breath of respiratory life. God will reach the heart of every object of his love. We'll not miss a one. How does he do it? He says, the hour is coming, and it now is. It's coming in the future. It has come in the past, but it now is. It's right here now. We don't know when. We do know it will happen and can happen and has happened even with the babes while they're in the mother's womb. John the Baptist was made to leap for joy while yet in his mother's womb. And that was when he heard of the coming birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a glorious revelation to John the Baptist while he was a little infant in his mother's womb. And he wasn't just kicking. He leapt for joy. <laughs> what a blessed uh, leaping that was. What an application to his soul while yet in his mother's womb. Jeremiah spoke of the same thing. Sometimes it happens later in life, like it did with Saul of Tarsus when he was on the road to Damascus, had letters from the Sanhedrin court in his person to capture the Christians and binding them up and bringing them back to Jerusalem for the purpose of the lives being taken. But while Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus, the Lord struck him down with the light from heaven. That was the Spirit of God at work. Struck him down to such an extent that scales came upon his eyes and he couldn't see anything for three days until he heard the preaching of the gospel by Ananias. Saul of Tarsus was given the name Paul. He was born of the Spirit of God at that point, and he cried out, What would thou help me to do? And the Lord prepared a man by the name of Ananias to meet Paul in a street called Straight, and he preached the gospel to him, when the gospel was preached to him, the scales fell from his eyes. A revelation came to him. He was converted by the amen truth of God Almighty. 
And he spent his life preaching the everlasting gospel of the Son of God. He suffered many times shipwrecked, cast in prison, bound in chains and so forth. He never quit preaching the glorious gospel of the Son of God until he died. He preached the resurrection of Christ. He preached the resurrection of the saints of Christ because he preached what he did. He became a martyr for the testimony of Christ, but that didn't deter his work. I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead in trespasses and sins, alienated from God, separated from God, depraved, like Lazarus, when Lazarus was dead in the grave, in accordance with the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John, Lazarus had been dead in the grave for four days. It didn't hinder the work of the Lord Jesus Christ whatsoever. He had the power to speak his voice. He cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus came out of that grave. When he came out of that grave, it was involuntary on Lazarus' part, but it was active and voluntary on Christ's part that his voice would be heard. Lazarus came out of the grave, bound in grave clothes. Then the Lord told the disciples to loose him and let him go. There is the purpose and utility of the gospel to take the newly born again children of God and to preach the gospel to them. Tell them what God has done and is doing and will yet do for them because he loved them with an everlasting love, an eternal love, an unending love, an unconditional love. But they shout his voice. Lazarus heard his voice. The thief on the cross heard the voice of the Lord when he spoke to the penitent thief. The penitent thief heard the voice of the Son of God. He railed upon Christ before that. But then... After Christ had dealt with his soul and made an application to him that had been imputed to all the elect when Jesus died on the cross as the doctrine of imputation, where the righteousness of Christ was laid up in charge to be applied when one of these objects would hear his voice. The penitent thief cried out, Lord, receive me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus told him, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. How could that happen? The thief, no doubt, thought, I'm about to be killed, and my body's going to be buried in the grave. How in the world can I be with Christ in heaven this day? Jesus, when he died, his body was buried in the grave, but his soul went to heaven. One soul does not sleep when the body dies. That's the heresy of psychopanicism, that your soul dies just as your body. The soul of man is immortal. It's not subject to dying, not subject to death. And when Jesus died himself, his soul went to heaven, but his body went to the grave. So the soul of the thief would be with the soul of Jesus in heaven at the time of death, when the soul would depart from the body and go to heaven. That's how the thief could be with the Lord in paradise. Jesus had said, no man taketh my life from me. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. Even Jesus had the power to raise his own body. The Bible says 
that the Father raised him. The Bible says that the Spirit raised him. The Bible says that Jesus raised himself from the grave. In his deity, his divinity did not die. He had the power to lay down his life in death and to take his body up from the grave when the time came, three days and three nights later. So many people sailed short the power of God. Now, I was preaching this a couple months ago now. A man and his wife was visiting the church from Australia. They'd become friends of other members of the church. And he told me after the sermon, he said, I have been bothered for 40 years in trying to understand how the thief could be with the Lord in heaven that day. He said, I've never understood it. And I've asked a lot of people. He said, 40 years, I questioned that. I got my answer today. He didn't understand that at death, there was a separation of soul and spirit. Your soul goes to heaven and your body goes to the grave. And so Jesus said, the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God. And they that hear shall what? Live. It's the life-giving voice of the Son of God. There's a story in the 16th chapter of Ezekiel about a little infant that was cast out in the field. But the Lord passed by and dealt with that little child, gave him life, cleaned him up, and that was a time of love. Every time an object of God's love is born of the Spirit of God, it's a time of love. It's a distribution of the love of God from heaven to the heart and the souls of men. The dead shall live. Those that are dead in trespassing sins shall come out of that. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, And you hath he quickened who were, not who are now, but who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the influence and working of Satan himself. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. That's the dead that Jesus is talking about, that when they hear the voice of the Son of God, they shall live. They shall live with eternal life, unending life, everlasting life. I desire to go to the book of Colossians at this point where the Apostle Paul spoke concerning the act of regeneration, what happens to it. In the ninth verse of the second chapter of Colossians, the Apostle Paul wrote, For in him that is in Christ dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It means that, you know, in the 14th chapter of John, Jesus told Philip, Philip asked the Lord, said, show us the Father. And Jesus said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How could that be? In him dwelleth the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, Jesus was a separate person than God the Father. Jesus was on earth and the Father was in heaven when he said that. But Jesus possesses all of the essence of the Godhead. He possesses omnipotence, all power, omniscience, all knowledge. 
He possesses, even in his incarnate nature, all the essence of the Godhead in his body. And then in verse 10, the Apostle Paul says, And ye are complete in him. You're complete in Christ. How are you complete in Christ Jesus? When Jesus died on Calvary's cross, he bore the sins of all of the objects of his love, and they were justified by his death on the cross. His elect were. He says, you're complete in Christ. You're complete in him because when he bore your sins in his own body on the tree, he expiated the sins that were against you, that were charged against you in the eyes of God. They were remitted as far as the east is from the west. Sewn up in the bag and thrown over his shoulder. Why did he say our sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west? I wonder why he said from the east to the west. Why didn't he say from the north to the south? If you're on the North Pole and you start traveling in any direction, you're going south. When you get to the South Pole, you're going to change direction. You're going north. If that were the case, as far as our sins were remitted, we'd run right back into our sins. But they're cast from us as far as the east is from the west. You can start here in Calabash, North Carolina, and start traveling west and go around the earth without changing your direction. 10,000 times and come back to Calabash, you're still traveling west when you get here. You'll never change your direction and start going east. So your sins are remitted from you. They're expiated, done away with. As far as the east is from the west. Oh, blessed be the name of our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. Colossians goes further in teaching that we're complete in him. For he is the head of all principality and power. In whom, in Christ, verse 11, in whom we are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of this flesh by the circumcision of Christ. What is Paul saying when he uses the word circumcision? Circumcision is a circular cutting. Paul is teaching regeneration here in this act of circumcising his people. The Holy Spirit comes to the object of God's love and cuts a circle around the soul so it would be a holy, perfect, sinless place for Christ Jesus to come in and abide. Christ in you the hope of glory, as Colossians 1.27 gives us. That's when he's given to us and borns us again of his Holy Spirit. When Jesus died on the cross, he imputed his righteousness to every object of his love. It was laid up to be charged to every object of his love in God's own good time. Not when we do works of righteousness. Not when we commit works that would merit eternal life. No, but when we were dead in trespassing sin, we heard the voice of the Son of God, and they that here shall live were circumcised in heart. That which was imputed to the object of God's love on the cross is applied to their soul in regeneration. You've got imputation and you've got application. Imputation is by the work of Christ 
Application is by the work of the Holy Spirit directing the voice of the Son of God to the souls of the objects of God's love. And we're born again. Buried with him in baptism. This is not water baptism. This is spiritual baptism of the Holy Ghost, the new birth. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. See, God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus raised himself. He was quickened by the Holy Spirit from the grave. There's the triune workings of the tri-personal God to raise Jesus from the grave. That tri-personal working is applied to the object of God's love in salvation when we're saved eternally. Jude 1. Jude tells us, He's a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James to them that are sanctified by God the Father, preserved in Christ Jesus, that's a sealing in Christ Jesus for every elect object of God's eternal love. They're eternally preserved in Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also you're risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. The Father had faith in the Son, else the Holy Spirit wouldn't regenerate the objects of God's love on the other side of the cross. The Son had faith in the Father that he would die and provide legal redemption for the objects of God's love, even for those on this side of the cross that live and die here before the Spirit even quickened our heart. Well, faith to the operation of God. God has faith, else he couldn't give you faith. Who has raised him from the dead? And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened, another word for the new birth, another word for regeneration, another word for being born of the Spirit of God, together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. See, that's where legal salvation occurred. When Christ died on the cross in the time of the Holy Spirit of God, he applies that blood of Christ to our hearts, and it cleans out our hearts and makes it a clean, sinless place in which Christ could come in our souls and dwell. You know, the Apostle Paul again captured this in Titus 3 and 5, did he not? In 3 and 3 of Titus, he told what he used to be in nature and what they would end up being in the Spirit of God. He was telling what a vile sinner he was and how he lived as a foolish man. Then he said, but the grace of God appeared unto me, not by works of righteousness, which you've done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's describing the new birth. It's not by our works of righteousness, which we've done, but it's wholly and solely by the finished, perfect work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross, applied to our souls in application by the Spirit of God. Thought for a while I might take time to go into verses 28 and 29 of the fifth chapter of John. Uh, let me just say this. Jesus says in verse 28, 
Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which, that's not regeneration, but the resurrection of the saints of God at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the which all that are in the graves shall come forth, them that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and them that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. If you want to read about that resurrection and damnation, read the 20th chapter of Revelation, verses 11 through 15. Let me just say this, and I quoted this for this purpose. The term, they that have done good, is not by your works. It's not speaking of you're resurrected because of the good works that you've done. It's in the singular mode, not the plural. Singular mode is referring you back to the fact that you do good by reason of what Christ did on Calvary's cross. And it's applied to your heart. And he makes you good in the sight of God by his blood that washes us from our sins, that cleanses us from our sins. They that have done good is based on the good, perfect work that Jesus did when he died on the cross, applied to you in regeneration. Your soul is quickening into the divine life. Contrary to that, the term they that have done evil is in the plural mode. It's not singular. It's speaking of many works, of unrighteousness, evil, corrupt works, dealing with the non-elect. They will be cast into the lake of fire because of the works they have done, their active works, their practical works that they have done in this life, the books, plural, shall be opened and the wicked shall be judged according to their works out of the books, damned to the lake of fire for all eternity. Not so with the children of God. In Revelation 21 and 4, he says, And there God shall wipe away all tears, neither shall there be any more death. There'll be no more death in heaven. There'll be no tears in heaven. We have tears in this life. Tears for different reasons. Tears in all of our suffering. Paul said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us when we're conformed to the glorified image of the Son of God. He swiped away all tears, and there shall be no more death. Neither sorrows. This life is full of sorrows. But some glorious day, all sorrows will be wiped away. You won't have any sorrows in heaven. What a glorified place that will be and you will be. Everyone whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will occupy that place. There shall be no crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Are you wanting to be released from the pain that you have borne? I know while you live in this life, that's part of your suffering. But in heaven, when you're raised in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, There'll be no more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now we'll close in 1 John 3 and 2, I believe it is. Now are we the sons of God, and it doth not appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We're going to be like him. We're going to see him face to face. We can do that with the spiritual eyes, with the soul that's rejoined with resurrected body, conformed to the glorious image of the Son of God. The corruptible is changed to incorruptible. The mortal, those that are subject to dying in this life, 
will be changed to immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying, death is walled up in me.